0: Jesus, we thank you so much for this time this morning. We thank you for the way that you gather us and the spaces that you gather us. We thank you for this table. We thank you for everything that sits on it and everyone who sits around it. And pray for your blessing on each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Merry Christmas. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's crunch time. We got a week, seven days. Seven days, this time next week, it will be Christmas day. And if you were listening, if you were paying attention to Carmen last week, the question is something different, right? It's, it's not, it's not, have you got all of the things done, is all of the ducks in a row, but are we actually being able to put Jesus in the center and I, I've so appreciated. We're here, we're, we're on our last week of our three-week series of The Gift. The Gift. And I've been uh, both I- encouraged and challenged by the last two weeks of being able to see what it could be to look at things a little bit differently from what we normally look at, how we look at Christmas. And, and in, the, in the church, if you're around church around Christmas time, you know that we do a really good job of talking about uh, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? You've heard that before. Uh, we're, good at, we're good at speaking that. But a friend reminded me uh, recently, he said, we can get all of these things, these good ideas into our language, but what does it take to get it into our, our DNA? Where it becomes a part of who we are. That we actually invite this, the, the Christmas spirit into the kind of people that we want to be. This week, the question is the gift and what it could be. To use our imagination to see what it could look like if we started to take these these words and these stories seriously. That the infinite God, creator of all things seen and unseen, saw it wise to limit himself and to fully enter in Our world is a vulnerable baby to show us what God looks like. What could it be if we brought our whole selves to Jesus like every piece of us able to come to the table to sit and to eat and to drink with Jesus? And Jimmy started us us off a couple weeks ago by introducing us to, to what it isn't. And besides introducing us to his his pretty cool grandma that listens to hip hop, or no, she doesn't listen to hip hop, but she knows she has some good taste. But more importantly than her coolness was that she, she came to the family with intention and thoughtfulness in caring for her family. We learned that this time of year isn't necessarily about the big and grand and over the top. It's rarely about those things but somehow the creator God who is big becomes small to enter into our mess, showing us that he is both bigger and smaller than we can imagine. We, uh, if you notice, we, the, the, the gift is getting a little bit smaller. Uh, last week, uh, or two weeks ago, Jimmy was, was, uh, was dwarfed by this, this massive box on stage, which looks great and it's amazing and what a feat, but, but in reality, it just kind of gets in the way of everything. When I was challenged by his questions, he asked three questions. What are you being invited to stop? What are the things in the Christmas season that we just need to pump the brakes on? What are some things that Jesus is inviting you to start? What are the things maybe that I've always wanted to do but but haven't had an opportunity to do so? And the final one, who is someone Jesus may be nudging you to invite in? And then uh, Carmen, she shared with us last week, the box got a little bit smaller, right? Gift was a bit smaller. And then she uh, introduced us to this idea of the calendar and that relentless taskmaster that fills our schedules with anxiety and fatigue, with all the things that we still have to get done. And I wonder, is it that we have too much to do, or are we simply just trying to do too much? Or it's the the calendar that reminds us that there's a lot of empty spaces, there's no appointments, there's few events, And it's a hard reminder of how few meaningful connections we really have. They say it's the most wonderful time of year, yet at the same time, it's also the time of year when depression is higher than it is throughout any other month. Suicides are at an all-time high. Or that the, the December calendar reminds you of what you've lost, of what used to be, but now is gone. And each square in December brings us grief and sadness. She shared that the gift is three things. The gift is simple. The gift is radical. And the gift is invitational. It isn't about stuff. I know we say that. We're very good at saying that. It's not about the thing, it's the thought that counts, right? That's what we say. It isn't about trying to pack everything in or try and meet the unrealistic expectations that others, they set on us or somehow the unrealistic expectations that we put on ourselves year after year. But this morning, I want us to imagine what it could be What could it be when we get our stuff and our time in the right place? Imagine if come January, you're not laden with debt, your credit card bills, uh, exorbitant, that you're not run ragged, feeling tired and weary of going from the one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. No regrets, but instead, Come January, you look and you have a deeper connection with God and with others. The scripture teaches us, Jesus teaches us that relationship is our absolute highest calling. That relationship with God and by default relationship with one another. But what if the gift actually simply is An invitation, an invitation to closeness, an invitation to connection, an invitation to be with one another. Because this invitation builds anticipation. The invitation is inclusive and is for everyone. And not only that, but it's something that we don't only just get to receive for ourselves, but then we get to extend it to others. It's reciprocal, works both ways. If you have your Bible with you, uh, you can turn to it. Uh, Matthew chapter two. Those first few verses, the first five verses of uh, Matthew chapter two. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, In Bethlehem and Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. I'm always fascinated by the wise men from the East in the Christmas story. We're not sure exactly where they came from. Uh, Some Western church tradition says that the three of them came from from Babylon and Ethiopia or or Persia and, and India. But we, we don 't know for certain, but we do know that they came from a long ways away, and we know that they came bearing precious gifts and There are a number of things that I find interesting about these uh, these wise men we don 't know some we say three right the three wise men, we think of the camels, everything. But how they even got to Jerusalem in the first place it boggles my mind it's, it's when you, when you stop and pause, we read these stories so often we we, we can be Um, we can lose the the craziness of all of it. Their invitation came from the study of astrology with possible dream interpretation and even uh, divination would have been in the mix of them being able to discern this. And as they studied the stars and the constellations, there was something that was compelling them to go to Jerusalem. Not just to have a unique view of an eclipse like somehow if they get to this certain part of the world then they would be able to see, see a, a great phenomenon in, in the heavens. But that there was a cosmic invitation to a very specific and earthly happening. And this specific thing that was happening, this the stars are telling them to seek out a king that had just been born. To leave their home and go across country to meet this king, not so that they could negotiate with them or trade with them or form an alliance with them, but they were searching for a king, a baby king that they could bow down and worship. Imagine the preparation that would have had to take place to make this happen. We have that picture of it just being three, uh, three wise men on camels, but, but if they were going for as long as they were going, imagine a, a whole caravan on the way. Imagine the anticipation that this thing, that it, it could actually be true and have having absolutely no way of really knowing for sure if it was going to be everything that they had hoped for. But the journey that would have taken weeks or even months to meet the one that the heavens were inviting them to see, to come that far for something that they had deemed to be so important would have had their excitement and their expectations just soaring through the roof. And I can imagine that even on the way that some would have doubted or even grown a little bit weary, but together they persevered together in order to meet with Jesus. When, uh, when I turned 30, um, which is a few years ago now, um, my lovely wife, uh, threw me a surprise birthday party and, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, uh, 70s theme, everybody had to dress in costumes, and uh, I had no idea about it. It was maybe a week or two before my birthday, so I wasn't really expecting it. Showed up, people had hidden their cars, and I, they, I didn't know that anybody was there. Show up, and it was such a good time. Music, the food, dancing, all the people that I, that I loved in my life were there to celebrate, and it was, it was, it was really good, it was very nice. And then uh, 10 years later, she did it again. And somehow I was still surprised. Um, she doesn't do it right on the date, right? She's, she gets it a few, ops to throw me off a little bit. It's, I can't remember if it was before or after, but it was, was what I wasn't expecting fully. And again, I show up, but there was more friends this time. And instead of a 70s theme, we, we bump it up now to the 80s. So we had an 80s theme, and so it was music, and, I made, you know, friends wearing, uh, wearing 80s clothes, and we just, it was a really good time. The music was on point, the food was excellent. It was, it was amazing. Now we've talked about like 50 is on its way. It's like I've got, some, I've got a few years, but, uh, but 50 is on its way. And I'm asking my, my dear precious wife, don't give me another, don't give me a surprise party. So I, I, don't, I don't really, the truth is, and we've had the conversation back almost 15 years ago, I don't really like surprise parties. I don't, I don't like them. And, and it's, it has little to do with me like just not wanting to not be in control or that I don't like to have fun or I just, there, there's something, something that I, I just, I prefer just the party. And I was listening to a podcast recently, uh, Father Mike Schmitz, and he, he, he shares a sentiment that, that like resonated with me so much. I'm like, ah, this is, why, this is why I prefer not to have a surprise. I love the party part. Don't get me wrong, I love the party part. But the surprise part you can, you can keep. And he says, uh, he talks about, uh, in the same way that an anticipation for suffering can sometimes be worse than the suffering itself, that in the same way he says the anticipation of joy actually amplifies the experience of joy itself. Ah, that makes sense to me. Getting ready for the celebration is actually a part of the celebration itself. I wanna look forward to seeing my friends. I wanna anticipate what's going to happen. Not that I have it all figured out, I need to know all the details, but, but to have something on the calendar to be, to be looking uh, forward to. I wanna be able to anticipate that with high hopes and enthusiasm you talk to anybody who's uh, expecting a child, especially their first child, the lead up to the birth is actually just as important and meaningful as the birth itself. And even after they're born, to look at the face of a newborn baby, and and if you've done this, you get caught up in just your imagination of, of what's possible, of hoping who they could become. It's good for the soul. And there's something profound for us to be discovered uh, in the process, in the waiting for the big good thing, that the anticipation of the thing actually makes it that much better. The invitation of God builds anticipation. God's gift builds anticipation. But also, this invitation is inclusive. Going back to the wise men, we know they were foreigners, they're not from Israel. They would not have followed the Jewish customs or worshiped the Hebrew God. They were Gentiles that would have violated the customs and laws. Yet the invitation was extended to them. We see an invitation that goes beyond who we might expect. To, uh, and Jesus' whole ministry isn't for the expected or even the qualified. The standard expectation uh, or the one that we would expect to have invited to, to be close to God, those that would be on the end would be able-bodied, educated, Jewish males. Those are the ones on the end. Those are the ones that mattered most in the minds of most of the people. But I find it interesting in the, in the short little passage that we read where, where the wise men, they come to Herod and he didn't even know where the Messiah was going to be born. He had to ask his, his chief priests and his scholars, hey, where's the Messiah going to be? He didn't know the one who had the most power and who was up, uh, absolutely going to be on the inn had missed his invitation. All the outsiders get invited to the place. And it's not just the Gentile wise men, but the uneducated shepherds. And when Jesus' ministry starts, he doesn't go for the scholars, but instead he goes for the fishermen. He honors the women, he honors the children He attracts the sick and the poor and the blind and the misfits. He has no lands, he has no property, but openly extends his invitation to everyone. Everyone is invited, especially those that recognize their own need. Anyone that is tired, anyone that is sick, Anyone that feels displaced, anyone that is alone, those are the places where God loves to show up. And if that doesn't describe who you are, if that doesn't describe you, don't you want to be around that, though, to see what God's up to? Accept that invitation to to be on the margins, to know that God is actually there in those places? We'll look at one more passage. We want to make some time for, uh, for communion. That's an invitation that we want to uh, invite you into before we go. And that's uh, Luke chapter 14, verse 12. Starting in verse, verse 12. Then he turned to his host. This is Jesus. He's uh He's at a meal again. You've heard me say it. One of the best symbols of the New Testament church isn't the pulpit, it's the dinner table. All of uh, Jesus' best stuff comes either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving from a meal. So here's Jesus, as usual, sitting at a meal. And he turns to the host and he says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. There's a reciprocity to this invitation We're being invited into the story of God. And in turn, we're able to invite others, invite others to the table to enjoy, to be filled. Can you imagine if all of us who claim to follow Jesus in the way that we do replaced consumption with compassion we said, no, this year, we want, to, we, want to, we want to be different. And I'm convinced that if, if that were the case, if that were the disposition that we were to take, that we would see a true Christmas miracle. And by a Christmas miracle, I'm not talking about uh, pregnant virgins or uh, supernatural apparitions or heavenlies or, or even people being healed from their sickness. But for us experience a Western way of life, I'm convinced that a Christmas miracle, one of the biggest miracles that we can experience in our current society is when someone says, I have more than I need and I'm ready to share. And for the ones that have a really hard time being generous, and by generous, I don't mean the ones that are motivated by uh, the... Um, the tax receipt at the end of the year, or for somebody to see you and say, oh, that was very good, like, great job. Oh, you're so, such a kind and generous person. I mean, the kind that, that, that gives without an expectation for anything in return. So when my, my kids were small and we'd talk about words, I, one of the things that I would define to them, we wanna be generous people. We would talk about this when they were little. We wanna be generous people. And by generous, I mean, you give to the people that you know or you believe could never pay you back. Don't just invite your friends. Don't just invite the ones that are close to you. But think about the misfit and the outcast. We invite them because we actually are them. And our God wants us to invite, invite them and be closer. But that's, one, that's only one half of the miracle. There's another half to that miracle. And the other half needs someone that is vulnerable enough, vulnerable enough to say that they're actually in need. In today's age, that can be a miracle. There can be such a shame and an embarrassment to admit or to impose on somebody else, especially this time of year, and say, I could use some help so we all know the, the three lines, the three most difficult things for people to say. You're familiar with that? I need help. I was wrong. And, and Worcestershire, Worcestershire Shire's sauce. <laughs> right? Three most difficult things for people to, to share. But this, this is the Christmas miracle. When the one that risks looking needy meets the one that is willing to give up their idea of a perfect Christmas. This is such a sacred time of year. We proclaim it, we say it. We say that it's sacred, we say that it's precious by having Jesus at the center, but we we show that it's sacred by accepting the invitation to generosity or vulnerability. To live out the truth of what this gift could actually be. I hope you guys saved me some. some. This looks so good. Dessert, yes. It's even smaller. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. It is with great joy and love for you that you have been invited. There is no dress code, although white linens will be provided at a later date. You have no requirements to bring anything with you except your whole self. Everything you were, you are, and whatever you hope to be. Bring your emotional baggage. Even grief cases are accepted. Your past hurts, your regrets, your trauma. Bring your old ways and the memories of the good old days. Bring your faith. There is room for you at the table as you belong. Bring your future fears and your anxiety. Whatever you can imagine of yourself in the future, you can bring that too. Your aspirations and dreams, even if they seem small, even if they seem large, bring them. Bring your hope. There is room for you at the table because you belong. Bring your struggles, bring your pain, your weariness, Bring your insecurities, even bring your pride, your affliction, and your weaknesses. But bring your strength and your passions, your creativity. Bring your love because there is room for you at the table. You belong. And if you've gotten anything at all out of our following Christ, if his love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community of the spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then agree with one another. Love each other, be deep spirited friends. Don't push your way to the front. Don't sweet talk your way to the top. Put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand and think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of the status no matter what, not at all. When the time came, he sat aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. So that all created beings in heaven and on earth even those long ago dead and buried will bow and worship before this Christ Jesus and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the, glorious, to the glorious honor of God the Father. Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to say yes to your invitation to allow your spirit to, to actually penetrate more than our, our words, but our hearts, our DNA, that the fruit of your spirit would just come out of us especially when pressure is applied, especially when there seems to be a a push or a, a, a pressure to go along with what's expected. Give us courage. Give us compassion and help us to see you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.